Well, you see, that's where it all comes together, right? Because I think the what should we build question really is an artistic one. Uh, we talk about things being artificial. We talk about artifice, artificial intelligence. That sounds very technology, isn't it? But actually, the art portion of artifice is exactly that. It's the stuff we make. Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robertazzi along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Our guest today is Kenji Larson. Kenji is a technologist, an entrepreneur, and an artist. He is the CEO at Alpha Reactor Corporation, consulting with startups and Fortune 500 Skunk Works. He specializes in bringing engineering prototypes from initial concept to scale. Kenji breaks down visionary thinking, execution thinking, and the components of STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. He shares how innovative thinking can prepare young people to go into a career. He previews his upcoming book meant to inspire more generations of innovators. Finally, we explore the deep questions, what is life, what is consciousness, through Kenji's favorite sci-fi film. Kenji, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. Welcome. Welcome. Typically, like a typical party question might be, what do you do? And I know you own and operate an engineering prototyping firm for many, many years with startups and Fortune 500 skunk works. All sounds super interesting. You have a, actually a very varied background in art and engineering, which is a perfect fit for what we're interested in uh, in this podcast. I'm going to steal a phrase that you mentioned to us earlier, that you're not a consultant, you're an insultant. <laughs> that talks to how um, you put together a process for innovation and prototyping, um, all those things in terms of structuring creativity, structuring innovation is great stuff that uh, our audience is very interested in. Yeah. So you have to be a little judicious when you're telling somebody that they're, they're not doing it the right way, you know? So that's why I said insultant, but it's just, uh, just a little humor. <laughs> I would characterize myself as a technologist. I it's not just from uh from the aspect that I'm involved with technology or that I like technology, but actually study technology, study how it's developed, understand the processes behind its own development and you know, we've come to a a, a, a spot in human history where there are so many different technologies all in parallel, all creating synergies that um this has actually become a separate discipline, I think. It's not just about like, I need to invent something to solve some problem. It's actually, no, um, there's a way to actually develop some things with uh, various parallel technologies, some of which aren't fully developed yet, uh, and some of which we will understand will become more powerful in the near future. Uh, and so we can design things in advance for, for when those things come together. Um, and I think that there's a further aspect of it, which is that there's what is the impact of um, innovations uh, on society as well? Because before it's just uh, I, I have a need, I need to fill that need, but now it's more than that. Um, you know, our technologies affect us; they uh, train us to be certain ways, they um, introduce customs to our society. There's a lot more impact than just oh, I need to solve this one problem. And so that's also a piece that I take a look at, but. What I do for a living generally is um, develop uh, develop prototypes from idea or concept uh, to scale, and it's actually a very 
uh, defined process in order to do that. And it's not so easy. So yeah, it requires a lot of innovative thinking along the way. And I guess we'll get into that. Actually, uh, we can jump right into that. I know, uh, again, to steal a phrase that you told us, as part of this process, uh, you're connecting uh, what you call visionary thinking versus execution thinking. This is something that you just said, taking an idea and scaling it. I can imagine uh, those are two parts of that. Any specifics that you can share in terms of what process you have that our our audience or people who are interested might be able to take away? Sure. I think when you're developing any uh, technology or product or solution, could be a process as well, technology or technique, right? You usually have an idea in mind. I want to solve some big problem, or maybe it's a small problem, but that's your vision. I want this thing to be solved. I want this need to be filled, or I want, you know, and it could be abstract. I want people to communicate well, or I want to clean up all the pollution in the Pacific Ocean, or, you know, you might have something that's a combination of abstract and concrete, right? But they're big. It's not, how do I do that? It's actually, I would like to do this. I have this vision. And I might, in my vision, have uh, some avenues of how to get there. And what you have to realize at the beginning is that you don't have the answer yet. Because most visionary people actually don't know how to execute that vision. They will hire the right people, hire consultants or consultants to tell you, to tell them what, you know, what might be uh, reasonable avenues. And, uh, and then hire engineers and technicians and other people who actually know how to do the details and build the building blocks of what they're trying to create or some avenue they're investigating to actually execute it, right? And so those are two different disciplines. And if you think about like building a house or designing a novel building, you have an architect and that architect thinks about things like, how does it look? Will it fit in the environment? How many people will be able to be in there? Less concerned with, will the roof stay up for hundred years? But the engineer that has to sign off on the plans for that building has to say that roof will probably stay up 100 years if you do these things to maintain it along the way and put these things in place and so forth. There's an inspection and so forth. There's totally different types of thinking there. And it's the same with technology. It's just that technologies have historically been a lot smaller and less complex than a, than a whole house, right? Um, you might have, and when I say it that way, of course, we have things like nuclear plants and uh, space stations, you know, obviously very complex. But when I think of technologies like, uh, you know, the coffee mug, for instance, it's pretty simple. It contains some water. It uses gravity as a field to uh, keep things contained. It's pretty simple. So if you have a vision that uh, I'm going to build a coffee cup, you know, before there were ever coffee cups, but you could be you could be the visionary. You can be the person that executes and you probably have enough literacy to connect the two things. But if you're building a space station, it's probably different, right? You probably have some idea. This needs to be, you know, at orbiting at this level because it needs to see this many uh, geological things at once or it needs to, you know, avoid the sun or whatever it is that you're trying to do. There's some idea. And then there's the, you know, will this thing uh, hold atmosphere? Uh, does it need to hold atmosphere? Is it the type of space station where people are there? Does it need does it need temperature controlled? You know, and then if it needs temperature control, then how do we do that? Do we what what is insulation made out of? You know, so the 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 two ends of that are quite different, but they need to talk. They need to be able to talk because the people who can execute need to be able to say, yeah, you're not going to get there with that. That doesn't scale or this. Uh, it's too expensive to do it this way, or it's too heavy if you try to put so many things there. 
you know, and so there's a there's a the need for literacy between the two sides to be able to have that conversation. There was a lot right there. We went from a coffee cup all the way out into space. Quite a lot to digest. And you mentioned you're a technologist. You mentioned a lot in there. The the architect engineer uh, kind of divergence I, I've seen and and even clients back in the past. I remember someone telling me you could always tell a building. If an architect is running it or an engineer is running it in terms of facilities, it looks better or it works better. But you mentioned you're a technologist, which is a little bit different than uh, engineer or architect. And I think you, on one of our other earlier calls, you, you said there's kind of a definition that's, you know, because I think a lot of this is engineering in a lot of ways when I hear it and think about it. And, uh, and, and I think I saw a, a YouTube video of your, uh, hackathon kit looked very engineering-y to me, meters and capacitors and things. So how do you define that as being different than than these other uh, areas? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so I'm involved with uh, education and innovation, and this actually relates to what we're talking about in education with STEM, STEM education. So we also talk about STEAM, where you add the A for art, right? Mm-hmm. Quite relevant here. But I, I ask people, you know, are you for STEM education? Of course, everyone's for STEM education. And I think we can all agree what math is. But I ask people, well, do you know the difference between science, technology, and engineering? Because that's what we're getting at here, right? Uh, and typically, people don't have a clear answer around that. You know, it's all sort of sciencey or all kind of, you know, techie or right? But I think it's actually pretty clear. I think uh, if I might really, really simplify it, Science is a discovery uh, mechanism or a discipline. Uh, what is stuff? It asks, what is stuff? What's stuff made of? How does it work? It's discovery and, uh, and questioning. Engineering is, uh, how do we make stuff? And that's really important because we need to make things. We need to make them reliably. There's an entire, you know, I mean, obviously, there's so much education and uh, processes and uh, best known practices and so forth uh, in engineering. Absolutely necessary. It's a it's fully fleshed out discipline. But technology asks a different question. It asks, what should we build? And that's where it really differs. Because usually we're like, I'm going to build this. And the reason we should build it is because it solves some problem. It's going to confer some benefit to some group. It's going to add some value to some someone's life or some some you know, group's lives, or it may it may um, enhance our experience here somehow. Um, and that you know the person creating that technology is asking that question. Well, what should we build? I think I'm going to answer that by I'm going to build this thing that I want to innovate. And then you have to break it down. Well, how am I going to build it? I'm going to have to do some engineering. I should be made out of metal, and so I know a metal bends this much, and so forth, et cetera. Now you're now you're into the formulas, and that piece is engineering. You might say, ah, but in order to build this, uh, I actually need a thing that doesn't exist yet. Well, now I need to do some science to find out. Like maybe can we like uh, do a little science project? Maybe I need a, a more powerful battery than ever before. So now I have a research project to uh, to try to figure that out and then put that together. But I want to be clear. I think that scientists uh, in general are are also uh, technologists and engineers. They might say, you know, I need to find out, I need to see farther distance in the universe. I need to see a uh, electromagnetic spectrum that is, uh, you know, a frequency that has never been done before. Uh, well, how do I do that? 
well, what should we build? Let's build a, uh, you know, a, 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 a electromagnetic telescope that um, that receives on this level. And well, then how do I do that? Now I have to do a little engineering and, and you may consult with uh, engineers to do that. So scientists can be can uh, absolutely engage in those the same way that a lot of engineers, they know how to do things They're They can execute, right? They really can execute. So they know how to uh, do all kinds of things, and they may have some creative ideas that say, okay, well, if I do this well-known thing and I do that well-known thing, I can actually put them together. Well, that's now they're being a technologist. Now they're saying, what should I build? And, and some would say they're being an artist. <laughs> well, you see, that's where it all comes together, right? Because I think the what should we build question really is an artistic one. Uh, we talk about things being artificial, we talk about artifice, artificial intelligence. That sounds very technology, isn't it? But actually, the art portion of artifice is exactly that. It's the stuff we make. And in order to have real innovative thinking, you need to be able to uh, have a thinking process that's assertive, that uh, that is able to pivot when you're wrong. Also, understanding that being wrong about something is simply a discovery process, and it's not a failure. It's actual, actually the the correct process to getting towards a further towards a successful innovation, and and this is a very similar process to uh, to even just regular old arts, like plain old arts. Like I'm going to draw a picture. Uh, let me take let me the composition is like this. I'm going to sketch it out here, whatever, or I'm going to make a film. Yeah, that you know I need to cut that scene like half a second shorter because it doesn't work right. You know, you're 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 experimenting with some of the things, some of the tensions involved. Uh, this this doesn't feel good in the hand as a technology. Well, you know, this doesn't look right as a picture, or this sculpture doesn't feel right. And sculpture is actually interesting because it has to also be uh, able to be statically supported weight wise. You know, so there's a little bit of actual engineering involved. You know, and but it's an experiment. If I if I make the sculpted subject lean too far then maybe i have to have a counterweight over here somehow you know some other uh, and then how does that work with the impression i'm trying to make the artistic impression i'm trying to make so i think that there's a, a real uh you know overlap between technological thinking innovation thinking and artistic thinking and you only have to look at uh, leonardo da vinci's notebooks to uh, believe mm -hmm. that right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. I don't even have a question here, but uh, this uh, this question about what should we build is so interesting because um, in business, we talk about like um, delivering value to the customer. You're, you're talking about solving a problem, but we often have a failure of imagination here. We either think too small or constrain ourselves to what we've done before. As I said, I don't even have a question. I just, I'm interested to like open up like our thought process about like uh, Bill has a I, I have a question. question. So, so as, as a, and maybe this is to, to play uh, uh devil's advocate to something for, for someone who's a technologist or for innovative thinking, we think of, you know, how should we solve this problem or what should we build? And we, do we, do we go to technology too quickly? Do we think like to solve a problem, you know, have we as a society, continue to try to solve problems or needs through technology to a point where we're, as you said, there, there's impacts on society that then come out. And afterward, we've kind of let the technology out into the wild and it's impacted. So we're like, oh, well, you know, that would have been <laughs> good to know before we did it. <laughs> you know, and as, as technology loving people, do we, do we do that too quickly? Well, you know, I, I think, I think we, 
we do, I think maybe we can't help it. Uh, I, I just have to think, you know, there's definitely unintended consequences uh, anytime you put something new out there, especially if it has great power. Obviously, you know, nuclear nuclear knowledge, right? It has pros and cons, right? Think about leaded gasoline. Oh, uh, you know, right? That was, oh, whoops. And then, you know, what about the impact of social media on children, for instance, mm-hmm. like this? You know, there's, there's all of these unintended consequences. And so, but do we do we jump too quickly to technology? I'm, I'm not sure because it really kind of depends on what you mean by technology. I, I think of the wheel as technology and I think of the coffee mug as technology. I think of space stations, as you know, as technology. Um, I think technology is natural. You know, we want to we're we want to make things better for us, for ourselves. Our our you know our singular interested party wants to make things better for us, right? So we so we also have the idea that we should make things better for others, which is nice, um, but maybe not all others, right? So you have a technology like um, missiles. Uh, it confers a benefit to some people and maybe not to other people, right? Um, so there are some questions about about you know mm-hmm. about that right but uh but the point is, is there is no question that it's natural to want to be you know defended um and uh you know the maslow hierarchy right you know you have to uh feel safe to do anything else right so i think it is quite natural to develop technologies and so it's, i don't think it's that we jump to it i think it's actually a natural activity of not only humankind because I can make the uh, I can make the case that uh, beavers building their beaver <laughs> lodges and their beaver dams they are absolutely creating a an, an object that's not them. They are modifying their environment around them for better or for worse. I don't know how those fish feel about not being able to swim down the you know you see you know so I think it's it's kind of a natural thing. If it's natural for for us as humans and maybe us as uh, kind of uh, living beings, what advice do you have for young people in their careers navigating kind of the artistic career track, the engineering career track, corporate versus entrepreneur? I know you've been involved in uh, almost all of those areas. Yeah, I, I think, you know, people have different personalities and I think it, I think what you choose, there's, there's not a one size fits all. If you have uh, the stomach for entrepreneurship, I mean, some some of what you have to do, it can be quite frightening. You have to be extremely self-assertive and confident in, in what you're doing to be able to stick to your guns when everyone is telling you it's impossible, especially if you're trying to do something new. You know, you may not want to do that. I, I can't tell you that entrepreneurship is always such a happy thing. You know, you might make money, you might, you know, or, or you also might lose a lot of money, right? But if you're good at it, you can uh, at least achieve a lot of the things that you set out to achieve. And if that makes you happy, if that if that's stat- satisfying to you, and you can stomach it, and, and or perhaps perhaps you feel this concept of flow as you're doing it, even though you're stressing and you know not like uh, you not distressed, but you stress. You know you're you're doing something hard, but you're skilled and you can get it done. And if that's satisfying for you, then then that's a good choice for you. But if you can't take that kind of heat, then maybe a job in corporate innovation, uh, corporate funded innovation is a little better. You can go home at five o'clock, you know, you can take your mind off things, but you still can, uh, you know, actually participate in technology development and um, perhaps work on a team and things a little bit more 
uh, structured in some way. So it really kind of depends on what you're trying to do, you know, and who you are. I just want to say one more thing about that. And that is that the, the, the rate of change of technology has been increasing. And I don't know if that's just going to continue. You know, we always like to project always that it's going to just get faster and faster and faster. But I think it can be said that uh, what you learned in school 200 years ago was fairly similar to what you learned in school 100 years ago. Since that time, airplanes, nuclear power, television, you know, uh, so what you learned 50 years ago uh, may not be so, so so much the same as what you learned 100 years ago. And then, and then now computers and the internet, other ways of communicating. These types of things not only change us and the way we think, and the speed at which we can think and absorb information, but it also changes the types of jobs that are available and the types of innovation we do. So like right now I run a process and I have some ex experimental processes and I do, I do a fair amount of computer modeling, but you know, I'm doing the modeling and uh, I, I run the, the decision-making around uh, what I'm testing, but I could see that in five years that uh, all of these processes are codified with uh, machine learning techniques and you, human beings simply don't have to run it anymore. Well, that might change the, certainly my job, but it certainly will change uh, a lot of different jobs. And there'll be new types of jobs that, that just don't exist yet. So when I say, uh, I mean, even when I grew up, you know, roboticist was not really a, 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 like a realistic job. You know, it was, I mean, there were people making robots for car factories and stuff, but it was far less common than it is today. And I think that even 10 years from now, I won't know. I think probably 10 years from now, most of the jobs that exist today uh, won't exist. So my point in saying this is that if you're trying to prepare young people to go into a career, I can't really give you advice about what career to go into because I know it's going to change. But what I can tell you is that innovative thinking will help you. You'll be able to pivot. You'll be able to uh, assert what is real. You can really um, understand diminishing returns. You can understand when you hit critical mass on something. And you can understand how to try to get some scale to your ideas. So I, I was going to jump back to uh, a little bit earlier too, and that's great advice because I think you're you're right. The, the future is unknown and and is uh, accelerating uh, as we speak. About the idea of flow as an entrepreneur, or if you're in this and doing it, and we talk about that often with with artists and technologists and engineers that that feeling and. Uh, for you, I, I get the sense that uh, when you're working with technology, you are in that feeling of flow doing this type of work. Um, are there other artistic endeavors that you separated out, you know, to, or uh, is this kind of uh, uh, an all-encompassing um, piece? Do you have that kind of separation? Like you said, some people might actually, you know, really enjoy working at a corporation, then go home. And have a whole artistic outlet, which we've interviewed people like that, that's totally separate from mm -hmm. the technology they're creating. I do. Yes. And uh, I would say that sometimes it overlaps with uh, technological processes. I'll, let me, I'll be more clear about that in a second. But, but on, the, on the more pure side, I, I, I like to draw. I, I, I enjoy drawing. 
Uh, I like visual composition. We talked about before, I, I do have a degree in cinematography, so I, I'm, I'm quite interested in uh, visual tension and also temporal tension. Uh, so, but drawing is, drawing is um, you know, just uh, something I, I like to do. And, and it's interesting because I don't feel like the drawings are the, the output for me. I feel like the mental state that I get from drawing is the output, and it is applicable in other parts of my life. So that's one thing I like to do. Another thing I like to do is woodworking. And I really love woodworking because, you know, wood is wood is alive. And also, by the way, there's no such thing as wood, uh, you know, because uh, <laughs> uh, there are many kinds of woods, right? So there's no such thing as wood. What is wood? If you're carving something out of cherry, it's a very vastly di uh, different experience than if you're car carving it out of oak or ebony or maple or pine, all balsa, totally different things. And you need to have a little feel for all of those things. And you live, you're working with, with basically a, a living material, uh, or at least it was alive once. You can say what you want about it, but I think, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not uh, homogeneous. It's, uh, you know, it, it has uh, different properties in different directions and just the challenges, but also the beauty. I mean, I think, uh, people love wood grain, you know, just to look at because it's you know it does something to us. There's it's there's some natural connection somewhere that that makes us feel good, and it makes me feel good. So I like to be able to use, uh, and, and this is where it's different from drawing. This drawing is more about extending, you know, something from my hand, whether it be a uh, pen or pencil or charcoal or whatever it is that I'm drawing with, and I'm just doing these motions to create a to create a, an image. But when I'm when I'm woodworking, actually, there's a whole other layer of things that has to occur, because now you're also talking about dimensional control, and you're talking about using tools that have different properties than wood. So you might have leather to clamp something and not dent the wood. You might have metal, steel, to uh, create a chisel, a blade to, uh, to to carve the wood in a particular way, or have a scraper. Um, you and you may go all the way to uh, putting that wood in a CNC robot, and how now you have a three-axis numerically controlled machine with with uh, with rotary tools carving a thing out that is uh, you know unbelievably accurate and uh, and complicated. So you can take it all the way, and then and then you might fit that to a hand carved something else. You know, you might have the hand carved thing on the outside and a perfect uh, fitting to attach two pieces that are that's machine made. And that interplay of shape and, you know, form and fit and fastening. And now you see, as, as, as we go, we go from art towards, towards engineering a little bit, you know, and that interplay is really, really enjoyable for me. Great. I'll say what struck me uh, when you said no such thing as wood, like I was shocked, uh, not shocked, but it reminded me uh, uh, about the flow state uh, and uh, Neo in the matrix, uh, uh, there is no spoon. <laughs> uh, once you get to that, uh, once you get to that understanding, you're definitely in the flow state. And speaking of cinematography and uh, movies, based on your engineering background, your artistic background, your cinematography background, what is your favorite science fiction film? Uh, yeah, well, there's so many good ones to choose from, but I think my all-time favorite would have to be Blade Runner. And there are so many reasons why. 
It's just well, it's just so well done on so many levels. Uh, but you know, this film actually really explores what is life, not just what is human life, but what is life. Are machines alive? You know, and can they can they be alive? Do they have lives? And then they, and then also, what is consciousness? Because you know, the whole the whole uh, uh, thread running throughout that entire film is. Is the main character who is hunting down these uh, artificial beings, is he also actually just an artificial being? And they, they toy with it all the time with uh, his, uh, I guess, his handler, or we're going to call it, uh, just in the background, always putting, making little origami objects or things like this to show him that he knows what he's thinking. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting to see, you know, how, you know, have I just been programmed? And is this my entire memory, right? But there's more to it, too, because um, you have people doing different things. Like there's uh, one man that just makes eyes. Like, so he's, he's working on componentry, but it's like biological. But yes, it's, but still it's machinery, you know? And so there's this, there's this talk happening, right? And if you think about, I'm sorry, I'm going to relate Blade Runner to the T4 bacteriophage. I know, uh, I can't help it. The, if you think about the, a bacteriophage, a virus, right? It's, a, it's just a small, relatively small number of atoms uh, that are encasing uh, a, uh, some genetic material. Yet this thing can move around, it can attach to things, it can replicate itself. You know, it, it doesn't have anything that we think of as a brain or um, muscles or anything like this, you know, but or a, a, anything. Right. It's just a capsule, basically. But it replicates and it, it has it just seems to have a goal of some kind. Uh, so is that life? You know, is it life? I don't know. But if a, if a handful of atoms, by virtue of their shape, have a behavior, a program behavior, and might be akin to something that is living, then certainly sophisticated machinery, and in this film, certainly biological machinery, could certainly qualify as life. And it's just so deep, this film, to me, in so many ways. Great choice. Great choice. Very good. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring it back to uh, the present, or I think the present, because that Blade Run is kind of the past and the future, maybe. You had mentioned you are working on a book to us uh, about innovation and your process. And is that uh, coming soon? Yeah, I hope so. I'm still working on it. Okay. But yes, I, I decided that, you know, as I'm living, I'm prototyping my own life. And I've changed my behavior over over time and the things that I do. And I realized that I, I'd like to I'm at repeatable. I'd like to get to scalable. <laughs> and in order to do that, I uh, probably need to transmit some of these techniques and uh, ideas to other people. And and they can do what they want with it, uh, including uh, refute it, including uh, augment it, uh, develop it more. I mean, you know, the possibilities are so rich. And uh, I think it will be helpful to, to us to be able to not only inspire more generations of innovators, but also to uh, provide a body of knowledge that helps us to navigate the upcoming changes. I hope uh, your book will lead our young people and others to uh, practice innovative thinking to help them kind of navigate our times. That sounds great, great, amazing. Thanks. I think we've had a great conversation. Kenji, uh, Bill, do you have any final questions? No, this was terrific. 
Yeah. Fascinating work. And I, I look forward to the book coming out. We'll share that with our audience when it does as well. Thanks very much. It's really been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.